We're going to chat right now with Jessica Mudry, who is the director of the Healthcare User Experience Lab at Ryerson University. Jessica, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate you joining us. Thanks so much for having me. What do you think of the effort to inform Canadians and the messaging that's gone on over the course of the past two years? Um, Am I out of touch in saying that I think there's been disaster after disaster after disaster? I mean, I, I think that might be slightly hyperbolic, but um, but it hasn't been good. And I think if I were to give this some sort of grade, as a professor, that's what I do, uh, I would probably give us somewhere between a, a D and an F. Um, and I always joke too that that I could give I could give this student um, an incomplete because I think what we saw here was um, not a failure to communicate. Uh, but actually a, a real missed opportunity for doing some public education alongside the communication. And I think that what we saw was a lot of top-down messaging, um, a lot of scolding, um, you know, some subtle public shaming about what can be done and what can't be done, and, and you know, trotting out bad examples of behavior which, of course, caused people to swing the other way. But also what we never really did was enfranchise the public with some basic science to say, here's what we know about the virus right now. Here's how we think it's acting in the body and in the public. Um, Here's how we think it it sort of circulates or is is transmitted. And here's what we can all do together about that. And we never never got that. Um, And I think, again, that was a real missed opportunity for most governments, both at the provincial and the federal level, to say to the public, you know, we, we trust you to process some of this information and act accordingly. We, we never really saw any of that. No, I think you're right. I think, you know, we have, and we all saw it, we all understand how we have this sudden emergence of everybody's an immunologist and an epidemiologist out there, and they're doing their own research, right, over and over and over. Um, is that a response to the fact that that information wasn't provided? We, you know, in, in terms of how does this virus work? Where do variants come from? All these sorts of lessons. Oh, absolutely. And I think what we, what we could have done was, and, I, and you know, there's there's a real problem right now in terms of uh, there are some fantastic science communicators who are scientists. But a lot of times we rely on um, the kind of translation of some of this material, the important scientific material, um, to it it kind of gets reduced to either clickbait or, uh, you know, um, let's say, you know, a quick news splashy story that's going to attract eyeballs. But but really, we need to almost have like a fireside chat with a scientist who, let's say, has spent their entire life working on this in a lab to say to the people who are doing their own, in quotation marks, research on the internet, it's not quite the same thing. (laughs) And, and, you know, say that with with due respect, but for somebody who has spent 20 years in a lab studying the intricacies of viral transmission, to have them dismissed really quickly by somebody who says, well, I've done some research. No, you haven't. But Jessica, part of the problem I think maybe here is uh, the fact that, you know, when you take a look at We've got some extremely intelligent, I'm not being disparaging to any of these people, very smart people with extraordinary expertise in science and in medicine and maybe even in management, but no experience whatsoever in being a mass communicator and sitting down and having a fireside chat or being in front of the cameras every single day at press briefings for a chief medical officer of health that had no idea That was going to be part of the job requirement. I mean, being a talented communicator to countries, provinces, cities, 
That's a skill. I mean, that's not everybody can do that well. Do we need to have more, I don't know, assistance or different ways of handling the communicating part of what's going on? Absolutely. And, you know, this is this is what I spend my, my, my time doing, right? I'm really, really interested in that space between, like, you know, the, the public receiving a message and and the kind of original science that then has to kind of go through the washing machine yeah. to be translated for people. To, like, science is very complex. The concepts are full of jargon. Um, you know, a lot of mathematical terms and, like, really nuanced ways of understanding certain things. Um, it, it becomes difficult to translate, but it can be done. And I was a trained scientist before I was a, a communication scholar, and I, I can appreciate that sometimes you have to spend, you know, some time with audiences to say, okay, what's going to resonate with you? What metaphor could I use to describe this thing that's going to help you understand? Because at the end, we wanted to modify behavior. We asked entire populations, we asked the globe to to modify how they acted in the world. And if you don't choose the right words, people are not going to be inspired to do that. You know, and that was the that was the danger. I mean I think that what we saw there was, you know, human behavior and human desire really needs the right words to be moved into action. If you if you want somebody to do X, you're gonna have to figure out how to make them understand X so that it speaks to them, so that it's somehow part of their story, you know, as they go about their daily lives. Um, and again, that's, that's, it's a tall, tall order, but there is that interstitial space between scientific researchers and the public that science communication can, can fill. And part of my thinking around that, Jessica, is the fact that we've now, because now I believe we're almost in an information war at, at this point. And when you're talking exactly what you're talking about, we have some very gifted broadcasters who know how to communicate. They know the metaphors to use. They know how to sell what they're saying. They're gifted broadcasters, exceptionally talented communicators um, who have taken the other side. They're, they're, they're not the ones that are speaking from the scientific background, but they're so much better at communicating and getting their message across that they're having massive influence, just as much, maybe more, than the actual scientists who are not skilled communicators. I mean, this is it. But, you know, it's interesting because you use the, you know, you just now used a, a metaphor. I'm not calling you out on it, but like, you yeah. know, to say, like, we're in an information war. And when you say even just that one word war, it, it, it means that there's going to be a winner and a loser. And I'd like to start thinking about the ways in which we can frame some of these arguments, right? Frame some of these issues that come to the public with different words so that the public doesn't see this as, um, you know, uh, a winner loser yeah. situation or an us and them situation and you know we we can start thinking about these things um you know, like what kinds of verbal filters can we use so that the public can make sense of it in, in a different, maybe less binary way? Um, what we ended up doing in a lot of these cases was doing a really kind of reduced us versus them, right versus wrong in terms of behaviors. We saw this not just in language, but in all the signage everywhere. You know, this is the right way to wear a mask. Yeah. This is the wrong way to wear a mask. This is the right mask to have. This is the wrong mask to have. And you know, I, I think that what we, we have to start doing is, is um, creating almost like a, like a continuum for, for kind of scientific comprehension and, and, and almost like, you know, uh, best practices 
Um, you know, science is, is difficult to do, but it doesn't have to be difficult to understand. Uh, and, and I think that once we start giving the public a little, like some tools to do that, we'll be in a much better place. What about the fact that we're talking about what we need to do two years after this started? <laughs> I mean, what does that say about the fact that, you know, we haven't done a very good job of adapting to the situation and learning and getting better as it's gone on? Or have we? Well, you know, I mean, if if we do not take the last two years, and it's kind of shocking to say two years at this point, yeah. it's like a it's like a blip. I mean, if we don't take this as and see it as a learning opportunity and as a pivotal moment for changing how we communicate, not just science, but you know, like politics and culture and you know societal issues, if we don't take this as an opportunity to. Um, to, to pivot, I hate using that word, but but to sort of rethink and reimagine how much better it could be, again, another lost opportunity. Um, you know, heavy, like heavy-duty scientific research, heavy-duty legal research, heavy-duty sociological or cultural research that happens in, in academia should be blasted out every day to the public, much more so than, and, and I say this with due respect, but you know, like 30 minutes on the weather or feel-good stories. Like, not all stories are, are, are feel-good stories just to get people sitting down in front of the television or in yeah. front of a website. We need to actually start talking about difficult issues and become okay with respectful dissent or respectful disagreement. And too often we just um, either give a top-down directive in the case of science and public health or we, we don't kind of... Um, we don't kind of respect the fact that there's lots of people who have opinions and inviting them to the table is actually a really important thing to do. And it's an important thing to change minds um, around things like, let's say, vaccine mandates. We were quick to dismiss people who didn't do it, but we never really asked them in, a, in the same kind of way that, or with the same kind of attention that we were paying to scientists, why? And that's really important, asking people why they think this way. And let's see if we can change some opinions by engaging someone in, in a conversation. Is this kind of work being done at the level that it needs to be done? You and I are talking about it, and I think we're on the same page with a lot of these discussions in terms of ways we can improve what we've done in terms of communicating. Are those kinds of discussions happening um, among politicians, among you know, public health officials, among science um, leaders, do you think this will sort of um, shine a light on how important communication is in handling something like this? And there'll be framework set up to, to do it better. I mean, I, I hope so. Um, and I, again, I can't speak for what's out there because it's hard for me to know what's out there um, in all nooks and crannies. But again, you know, we need to, instead of dismissing the people who are, uh, you know, going against the grain um, or who fall into the whatever it is, 15% who are unvaccinated versus the 85% that are, I mean, maybe we have to start respecting them as 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 individuals and as as fellow Canadians and saying, okay, let's talk about why and and let's talk about the importance of what you're doing, so that to you, so that we can maybe explain the importance to you of what we're doing, um, and. It's just too often this kind of hand-waving dismissiveness about, oh, that person is stupid, that person is an anti-science, that person is... There's still a person. There's still a person with convictions and beliefs who deserve the same kind of respect and protection as everybody else does. 
Um, and so let's let's bring them to the table and say, okay, let's hear what you have to say, um, with uh, holding them to the same standards of like of of you know um, civility and and you know respectful conversation, um, so that maybe we can kind of get to the bottom of it. Because at the end, it's it's that kind of human behavior that we would want to change in, let's say, a vaccine mandate. Interesting. Um, yeah, we've definitely heard that discussion as we've gone on. Jessica, I'm out of time, but I really, really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for joining us this morning. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Take good care. You bet. That is Bye. Jessica Mudry, who is the Director of Healthcare User Experience Lab at Ryerson University.